Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Good morning. Well, hey, my name is Michael. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. And I just wanted to say welcome to everyone this morning. Thank you so much for being here, especially if, you knew, if you're new. I know Carter already mentioned this, but we do want to say today that you are our honored guest. And we are so excited that you're here with us this morning. And so thank you so much for being with us this morning and joining us. And so whether you're here online or, or in online or here in person, thank you for being a part of today. Um, whether though, however, though, if you are new or if you're someone who calls Redemption Church your home, you're probably wondering why I have this toilet paper roll right here. No, it's not because I had spicy food last night. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Um, and we're gonna use this a little bit later on in our service, not the way that you're used to, praise God. Um, but this is gonna be an illustration. So here in just a little bit, I'm excited to be able to show you an illustration with this. So I'm gonna put a, build a little suspense today by leaving this up here this morning. And so, uh, but hey, um, we're in, if you are new or just need a refresher, we're in a four, we're in a part four of a five part series um, that we've entitled Grow the Secret to Spiritual Maturity. We've been laying out five practices of the early church that we want everyone who calls Redemption Church home to adopt into their lives. Y'all, these practices, when done consistently and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, can lead to our spiritual growth and fulfillment in Jesus. And so the path, what I want you to see throughout this series, especially, and especially even today, is that the path to Christian growth is not easy, but it is very simple. It's not easy, but it is very simple. There's lots of things in our life that are this way, right? Health is this way. For the most part, if you eat right, if you exercise, you're gonna be healthy for the most part, right? Finances are this way. If you live generously, if you live on less than what you make, if you invest rightly, then you're gonna accumulate wealth. You're gonna be healthy financially. And so again, the path to Christian growth, it's not easy, but it is very simple. And for our topic today, y'all, it's the same exact way. We're gonna be in practice number four of these five practices, which is give generously. And if we are going to grow spiritual, spiritually in our lives, then we need to give generously to God's mission. We need to give generously to God's mission. And I think it's important for us to note that I've uh, preached on uh, giving, generosity, tithing a few times in my life at other churches that I was on staff at. And every single time that I ever preach on giving or money, y'all, I feel like I need to caveat it or appease everyone in some kind of way to make people feel at ease. And I think it's so important, like, like hear me on this, that even the angst in our heart, when we talked about money and, and said that we're gonna preach on that, even the angst in our heart, it shows us right now how much of an idol money can be in our lives. I mean, it shows how much of an idol it can be. And so churches, you know, though, a lot of times they can go kind of one in two ways. Number one, they could talk about money way too much. They can focus on spending it on buildings and material things and things like that that ultimately don't matter at the end of the day. And y'all hear me, buildings are great and we praise God one day we're gonna be in a building that we own and we're able to use it for the mission of God. But if we spend all of our money on buildings and material things and things like that, and that's our purpose and the end all be all, then man, we've lost our purpose, right? Amen, we don't wanna focus on that. But then that's one side of the coin. But then on the other side of the coin, there's churches that never speak on money. They never talk about money, right? And that would be sinful as well because money and possessions, they're mentioned in more than 2,000 verses in the Bible. 
Out of the 38 parables or stories that Jesus told that we see in the New Testament, 16 of them were about money and possessions. I heard Pastor J.D. Greer at Summit Church, he said if he preached on money as much as Jesus did comparatively, then he would preach on it every third Sunday. Every third Sunday, right? So because we love Jesus and we wanna model our church after him, we're gonna start preaching every third Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do that, right? We are not going to do that, don't worry. But y'all, the the truth is, hear me, the truth is that money is so revealing. Money is one of the few outside indicators of what is really going on in our hearts. How you spend it will reveal to you what you really believe, what you really value, and where your heart really is. Not where you want it to be or where you think your beliefs lie. No, but what is really going on in your heart. Church, it would be a sin for us not to preach on money, but even greater than that, the truth is that generosity, it fuels God's mission at our church. It truly does. And that's what we're gonna see in the early church, that generosity fueled the mission of the early church and it's the same way in Acts and it's the same in our church today. God uses our collective generosity, mine, yours, all of us, to go further and to go faster for his mission. And so if you're taking notes, here is our main idea today. If you don't get anything else out today, this is what I want you to be able to see from Acts, from God's word, from God, I believe that he's trying to get us to see. Y'all, generosity is not something that God wants from you. It's what he wants for you. Generosity is not something that he wants for you. It's what he wants, excuse me, from you. It's what he wants for you. He wants generosity for you. Why? Because it is better to give than to receive. This isn't some cute quote that we tell our kids at Christmas time so we don't have to give them as many gifts or things like that to get them in that mindset. No, these are Jesus's words to us. Excuse me. These are, these are Jesus's words to us in Acts 20, 35. The early church understood this as well, right? This is how the Bible says that they were able to sell their possessions to all those who were in need. Every part of who they were was generous. Every part of who they were was generous. And I think it's important also to note that you can be technically generous with your money, but still not be radically generous in your heart. Jesus wants all of you, right? He doesn't want you to pick and choose. He doesn't want certain parts that you leave off limits to him. No, he wants all of you to be generous in every single part of your life. He wants you to be relationally generous, opening up yourself and building authentic relationships, not being critical or unforgiving. He calls us to be generous with our gifts, time, talent, and treasure, right? He calls us to be generous with our homes, with his hospitality, right? We talk about, that's one of our core values. We say we wanna be generous with our homes. We wanna be hospitable in the way that we interact. And so it's important for us to know that while you can be generous with your finances without being generous in your heart, y'all, the opposite is not true. You can't be generous in your heart without being shockingly generous with your money. Y'all, there's just something that's tied into that that Jesus is trying to get us to see as he's preaching on this idea that there is an idol in our hearts for money because we think we've earned it and we think we deserve it, right? And what he's trying to say is, no, 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 you cannot be radically and shockingly generous with your life without doing that with your finances because where your treasure is that where your heart will also be. And so what I wanna do for us today is in this series uh, called Grow, we've been looking at these five practices, gospel, gather, groups, give, and go. We're on part four today, but we've been looking at the early church and how the church got started and it was birthed and God did some incredible, amazing things. Some 2000 years later, we're sitting here doing those same practices today. 
And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Acts chapter two and see these five practices. Um, And what we've done in each sermon is we've started there and then bounced off and gone to another text to describe it even more. So what I wanna do for us is read Acts two verses in Acts chapter two today, verses 44 and 45, it'll be on the screen. And then what we're gonna do is look at that and then we're gonna move on to Jesus and what he teaches about it in Luke. And so here's Acts 2, 44 through 45, it says this. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Y'all, let's just pause for a moment and talk about the craziness of those verses, right? They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Y'all, could you imagine selling your truck, your car, your house, and your everyday items and giving them away to others in our church. This looks insane to the rest of the world, right? And even in our Americanized version of Christianity, this looks crazy. Yet these types of things happen regularly in the early church because y'all, they knew someone who went to infinitely greater lengths for them. See, Jesus gave up all of himself for them so that they could be made rich with God. He's done the same thing for us today. He gave up not a portion of his finances or his life. He gave up everything for us. And they knew that. And so that's why they were able to foster this generosity and their entire lives were filled with this kind of generosity. And so what I wanna do is look at Luke 16 now and and go back a little bit further and see how Jesus talks about generosity. And that's why the early church adopted it the way that they did. And so let's read, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 16 verses one through seven, Luke 16, one through seven to start. And just to give you a little context, Jesus is teaching here to his disciples, but the Pharisees, those group of people were a little bit over to the side. So it's kind of like if you've ever been in a conversation and overheard and you know that person is kind of talking about you and you kind of look over and you can tell, that's what's happened here. He's talking to his disciples, but he wants the Pharisees to be able to hear this as well. So this is what Jesus is saying in verse one. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came out that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation, right? He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Gracious, how do you get in debt for eight? Must be like Costco or Sam's Club. That's what, he must have owned one of those apparently. So the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Verse seven, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So again, what just happened, right? What are, we, what are we reading here? An accounts manager for a really rich guy is given his two weeks notice, right? Basically he's fired, but he has two weeks left on the job. So the dude goes home and is in, of course is in despair. And he says to his wife, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I've gotten so used to drinking these $5 sweet donkey lattes and sit in first class. There's no way I'm gonna be going back to Folgers. Uh-uh, I'm not sitting in an economy class. 
So this fired manager gets this brilliant idea, right? He calls up his boss's clients who still owe his boss money. And he says, I see there that you owe my boss $100,000, right? I'll tell you what, if you pay 25,000 right now, I'll give you an official debt settled certificate and we'll just call it even, right? And a manager during this time was basically a COO and a CFO combined. That's what this manager was. And they would take the money from their client and they would invest it and they would invest it for them. And the investments were law. They were legally binding and technically this guy is still on the job, right? Because he's got a two weeks notice. So I guess maybe from this parable, that's why you've heard the phrase, uh, hire slow, fire fast. Maybe that's what the reason is for here. So he gives them this debt settled certificate and tells them, hey, just remember, just remember who took care of you. Maybe in two weeks, remember who took care of you, right? And this guy goes uh, and does that with all of his boss's clients, all of his boss's debtors. So after he's fired, he's got a bunch of people who feel like they still owe him this big, huge favor. And then the crazy part is, now we're gonna look at verse eight here. Uh, So Jesus says in this crazy twist on the story, he said the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. I love the NLT version there, this dishonest rascal. But right, did y'all see that coming? I mean, seriously, Jesus is praising this shady manager. And then he explains the lesson in the second part of verse eight. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Y'all, Jesus is saying, if you know that your current reality is coming to an end, isn't it wise to use whatever moments that you have left to prepare for the next one, right? So what does this mean? Jesus asked for the money and the resources that God has made you the manager of. What does this mean for the resources that God has given us, right? And in verse nine, we see the answer. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly wealth to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Verse 11, if you are untrustworthy about worldly, worldly wealth, Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Y'all, Jesus is saying in some mysterious way here that our faithfulness with our resources here will determine both our responsibility level and our enjoyment in the life to come. See, church, it's our generosity that unlocks eternity. It's our generosity that unlocks eternity for us. And so for the rest of our time together, what I wanna do is look at this passage together and I wanna pull out three principles that we can apply to the generosity of our lives. So three principles that we're gonna learn from this shady manager, from this shrewd manager. And shrewd, it just means wise and cunning. And so that's what shrewd means, but we're gonna look at three principles here. Number one is this, we're all stewards of money that's not ours. We're all stewards of money that's not ours. A steward is someone who manages something that belongs to someone else. Jesus is saying that in our lives, we are managing money that's not ours. We're managing money that's not ours. Everything that we have, y'all, everything that we have, relationships, possessions, all of these things, even the breath in our lungs, it's all God's, right? Everything we, be- we have belongs to him. And we see this in Psalm 50, 10 through 12, you can see this throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, but here's a really good one for us to read. 
It says this, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. Y'all, he owns it all and all we have has been given to us as a gift. And praise God, someone should say amen there, right? We think about that and we, we, it kind of, man, rubs us the wrong way a little bit because we think we've earned it and we deserve it, right? But man, pray God, listen to how freeing that is. That if we ever lose these things, it's because they weren't ours to begin with. And we know God is faithful to us and, and he will give and he, we will continue to be okay with him. But man, we should praise God that all these things that we have from relationships to possessions, all these were gifts from God and we wanna praise him for it. See today, y'all, we wanna see this, that God gave money to you so he could use it through you. God gave money to you so he could use it through you. This is a biblical principle we see throughout the Bible. Abraham in the Old Testament was blessed so that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And y'all, we've been blessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we would share it with other people around us. We've been blessed with that, not to hold it, right? But to be able to share this. So we see this principle throughout the Bible. And so when we hoard this financial blessing, for ourselves that we've been given, y'all, this is robbing God of what is his. Listen to Micah 3.8. It says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Y'all, if we are not giving, we are robbing God of what is his. Think about it this way, right? If a wealthy person, a very wealthy person came to you tomorrow and offered you a job to manage his entire estate, he came to you tomorrow, I want you to manage my entire estate that I have, right? And I want you, you can live on 90% of it. I want you to live on the 90%, but I need you to invest 10% of it into, uh, into other things, right? Just invest 10%. What would you say? For most part, we'd probably say, yes, absolutely, praise Jesus. I get to lift on 90% of this wealth. Praise God for that, right? Y'all, of course, I get to keep 90% of the money. This is what God is doing for us. If this wealthy person, though, he comes back to you a little bit later and he asks you if you're investing this 10% in people, your city, the local church, and you say, well, no, I'm not, man, that's not just stinginess. That's robbery. We are stewards, y'all. We are stewards of money that's not ours. We have to see, like, look at me here. We have to see that having a relationship with Jesus, it's impossible until you lay the way that you feel about your money and the way you see your money at the feet of Jesus. Laying your finances at Jesus's feet shows that he is first in your life and your trust is fully in him, not in what you think that you have earned. Y'all, generosity, it's what God wants for you. It's not what he needs, but it's what he wants for you because he knows the freeing nature of this. And so, number one, we've seen this principle that we are stewards of money that's not ours. But secondly, the second principle I wanna show you today is this, that we've all been given a two weeks notice. We've all been given a two weeks notice. So it comes time for the toilet paper roll here. So I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to do this numerous times. I love this illustration. I wanted to do it for you. I think it really applies today as well. Um, but I think this just, it helps us really see this point that we've all been given a two week notice. 
And I used to do this illustration for students and the way that I would do it, um, because I am, back then, I was in my 20s, my early 20s and a single. Now I'm married in my 30s and getting ready to have a baby in a couple weeks. So I can't waste this like I did back then. So I'm just gonna barely, gently put this out, not all the way. But what I would do is get a mega roll and have these students grab one end and they would roll it out as far as it can go. So we would go outside, obviously, to be able to do this. And I would let them stretch this thing out as far as it can go. And I said, if, you, if, if it breaks, then you're in trouble. You gotta run. Even though I wasn't a coach, I was a youth pastor. So I made the kids run. So, but anyways, no, they didn't break it. But anyway, so they stretch this thing out as far as it can go. What I'm gonna do here, like I said, is just roll this thing out right here and hopefully I won't break it. So you imagine... This toilet paper roll right here, you imagine this thing fully rolled out, right? And in our finite minds as people that we know that, that we had a starting point and an ending point, we were birthed and one day we are gonna die, we know that the rest of life doesn't work that way. That before the earth was even created, that God had always been and he always will be and we will go on for eternity as well, right? So this span of toilet paper right here, you imagine it, and we can't even, you know, there's not a toilet paper that wraps all the way around the world, right? So this even has a starting point and an ending point, but I just want you to imagine the length of this toilet paper. And this Sharpie marker right here, it, this little dot that I'm gonna put on the, sharp, or on the uh, toilet paper roll right here, this little dot, it represents your life in the span of eternity here on earth. The span of eternity, Right? And most of you, probably on the front row, you might be able to see it, but those of you near the back, you might not even be able to see that dot, right? Our lives are like this, right? They are here today, they're gone tomorrow. And it's so easy for us to forget that, right? <laughs> Give it up for Carter. Right, and so um, our, our lives are like here today, gone tomorrow. And James says it like this in the Bible. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring or what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We must look at our lives with eternity in mind. We must look at our lives with eternity in mind. Only when you grasp how short life is and how long eternity is, will your priorities come into focus. Jesus is telling us that we all have been given a two-week notice in our life, our death, we are all like the shrewd manager with little time left in our lives. We will all die and we have no idea when that will be. And about a year ago, I remember there was an article that was published in the New York Post about Kari Willis. Kari was an NFL player for the Indianapolis Colts and he played three years and became a starter during his rookie season. The article goes on to say that Willis announced his retirement Wednesday on Instagram and he thanked the Colts for granting him the opportunity to compete. He explained that with much prayer and deliberation that he wanted to devote the rest of his life to further the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all put it, let me put it in perspective for us. There is a little over 15,000 players in just the division one level of college football. A little over 15,000 of these people, right? And only 1.6, 1.6 of them, of these NCAA football players ever make it to the professional level. 1.6, less than 2%. Here is a person living out their dream that only 1.6% of his colleagues ever get to participate in. And he's actually a starter. Many of these players actually never even get to see the field. They're just there for practice to help the starters to get better. Many of them ever, never even get to see the field, right? 
And he has reached the height of his field. And after three years, he is stepping away from all of it. Why? Because he realizes life is a vapor. I watched him in an interview say, tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day I want to decide to give God my everything. Y'all, at the height of his career, he wrestled with the thought that his life was yielding little eternal value. And he sensed God's call to carry the gospel to the world. So y'all have a simple question for you this morning. What legacy are you leaving? What legacy are you leaving? What kingdom are you leveraging your resources for? Your time, your talent, your treasure, are you living generously? Or do you, do you live as if you believe eternity is real and imminent? And are you teaching? This one's big. Are you teaching your kids to do the same, right? Or are you helping them build their American dream that will one day truly fade away? And at the end of the day, it's, it's all about, man, Jesus and the people that we can see come to know him, right? And so lastly today, the last principle that I wanna show you today is this, number three, that we're in need of a greater purpose, we're in need of a greater purpose. We see this shrewd manager invested in friends that would outlive his current situation is what he did. And Jesus is saying in verse eight that most of his children, Christians here, we don't live like this. We don't act like people who will one day stand in front of God and give an account for how we stewarded what was given to us. We look to money to give us significance, security, purpose, the more of it we have, the more purposeful we think we are. But the crazy thing is, if you have a lot of money and everyone hates you, you're not gonna feel very significant, right? The house, the car, the other materialistic things that bring us such temporary happiness, man, those things are gonna pass away. But the one thing that you truly need in this life is to love others and to be loved by them. To love others and to be loved by them. That's when you feel wealthy, that's when you feel significant and that's when you have purpose. When you know the love of Jesus and you love him. And y'all, even in a secular framework, people know it's more valuable to invest your money in something that brings long-term value, right? Not just short-term. If we are supposed to use our wealth for material gain here on earth, if we're not supposed to do that, then what's the best way to steward the money for the kingdom of God? Y'all, Jesus is saying to invest your money in relationships. Jesus is saying that, invest your money in relationships. There is no material asset that will last. There is nothing in this world that you can invest your money in that you can carry into the next except for relationships. Michael Wilcock wrote a commentary on Luke and he sums up this parable like this. Although these things, property, ability, time, belong to this life only, Jesus says, what will happen to you when you pass on into the afterlife will depend on what you are doing with them here and now. Make sure that you use your money, that it brings you into a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death. One of my favorite quotes about this idea, it actually comes from Pastor Rick Warren. He says this, the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which will outlive it. The greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which will outlive it. And he goes on to say that there's only two things that will last forever, according to the word of God. First is the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away, Jesus said. And the second thing, people, right? People will last forever. And so we need to pour our lives, invest our lives in the word of God and people. 
And so the only wise thing to do with your resources, Jesus is saying in Luke 16, is to make friends for eternity. Make friends for eternity. Use them to move people from death to life, from restless to redemption, to make sure the people around you and all over the world know that their sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated by Jesus. And there is a savior that suffered the penalty for their sin and defeated death on their behalf so that they could enjoy him forever. The people alive during this generation, they have one shot to be able to hear the gospel. One shot and it's us. Y'all, on that last day when Jesus returns, the only thing that will matter to you is whether you were a faithful steward and use your resources for this purpose. I love the way that Tony Evans describes these verses in his study Bible. He says this, Christians ought to use their resources wisely and generously for kingdom purposes. In this way, lives will be changed and people will be saved by the gospel. Shrewd, this is the best part, shrewd kingdom people will be greeted in eternity by a welcoming committee of friends whose lives were forever transformed by their righteous use of worldly wealth. Y'all, don't you want that type of legacy? Don't you want that type of legacy that we get to heaven one day? I pray that this is mine, that I'll get to heaven one day and we'll see hundreds of people that were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and it was your generosity that helped to fuel that. It was your generosity that helped get them there and they are welcoming you in, welcoming you into the kingdom of God. Y'all, what a life, what a story. Church, how are you using the money and the resources that God has given you? If I can lovingly ask, are you hoarding those for yourself? Or are there so, there's so many ways across our valley that you can use your resources to benefit others, to push them toward Jesus, right? Here in our church, our local church, you can give to the, the generosity of our church that way. There's, um, if you didn't know that right now in the Roanoke Valley, this area, our city is the largest foster care system in our state, the most foster care kids in the entire state, right? So you can put your resources there and fuel the mission there. Y'all, their list could go on and on of how you can use your generosity to fuel the mission of God. And so to end this parable, Jesus makes the statement that embodies his most important teaching on money. So at the end of this parable, he comes back and he, and he uh, embodies this statement. He says this in verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money, they heard this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Y'all, both God and money, they both can be present in your life, but only one will be at the center. Only one can be first. One of them you'll look to for happiness, security, and you'll pursue. And the other one you're just gonna have a casual relationship with in your life. Can I lovingly ask you today, which one is it for you? Which one is it for you? Is it God or is it money? And y'all will never fully understand, hear me, you will never fully understand how to be generous or what generosity even is until we understand Jesus' generosity for us. He didn't just give a tithe for us. He gave up all of himself. He gave up all of his money to turn enemies into friends, 
And church, y'all, we were enemies of God, but through Jesus' death, he has made us rich with God. He made us rich with God in relationship because of his death. Can I get an amen on that, please? Amen. Y'all, Jesus is the true steward. Jesus is the only one who unlocks generosity in us and unlocked our eternity with his generosity toward us. See, we don't earn our salvation from generosity. That's so important. Please don't hear that today. We do not earn our, uh, our salvation from generosity or anything else that we can do. They're like filthy rags, the Bible says, in the eyes of God. Y'all see, we don't earn our salvation from our generosity. It was freely given through Jesus's generosity. Y'all, because of his example, we get to do the same for others, right? So as we are thinking about applying this today, I have three groups of people that I love to talk to you this morning. Number one, there's those of you in this room today that wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You would say, maybe you're just checking this out this morning. You're not really a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't say that. And what I wanna tell you, your next step today as you apply this to your life is can I beg you today, can I beg you to accept Jesus' generosity for you? He gave up everything for you and he wants so desperately to be in this relationship with you. Y'all, he wants this for you to walk into this season of generosity in your life. He loves you so much that he went to the cross on your behalf because of the brokenness and the sin in our life. So can I ask you today, can I urge you, please accept Jesus, accept his generosity for you today. That's your next step. And I'd love to talk to you more about that today. We'll have a prayer team at the down front right here at the end. There'll be two people standing down here that would love nothing more than to have that conversation with you and talk to you about next steps and what, is even, what does it even mean to follow Jesus? They'd love to have that conversation with you today. Number two, the second group of people, there, there's those of you that would say that uh, you are a Christian, you are a believer, or Redemption Church is your home, but you're not currently giving in any kind of consistent way or even at all. And what can I say to you today, lovingly, again, looking at the generosity of Jesus, can I urge you to start giving some amount to God's mission? We all have to start somewhere, right? So just give some amount to God's mission. And here, I want you to really hear me today as well. We say this in starting point, and I wanna say it to you now. Carter and I both agree on this, and the elders of our church. But we know that there is church hurt when it comes to giving, right? That's what I had to, to appease it or talk about it at the beginning. There is church hurt when it comes to this stuff. Right, So if you have been hurt by another church speaking about money or possessions in a wrong manner and, and you, are, are a little, you feel like it's a little shady to give to the local church, then we just want you to be obedient to God. And we, we have a bunch of other organizations that are not churches that you could give to that are still focused on Jesus and focused on helping and loving people, but they're not churches. And so we would love to tell you about those if that is you and you've been hurt by that then we wanna encourage you just to be faithful and to be generous with your life, the way Jesus has done that for you and the way that he calls us to. And so we have a bunch of other organizations that we can help you out with in that way. But if that's not you, if you believe in the mission here at Redemption Church, then we encourage you to take the next step and to start to give here. Y'all, generosity fuels the mission. That's why we say it every week, it helps us do more and it helps us to go faster in the mission. Y'all, everything that we do requires money. From the renting of this building to employing staff to helping to do outreach in our community and beyond all of it, God, God uses the generosity of his people to fuel the mission of local churches everywhere. And then lastly, 
the last group of people there, those of you here here today, that you have already are giving to our church, maybe consistently a tithe or even beyond. And we wanna say thank you. Thank you so much for giving to our church. But what I wanna do for you today is I wanna give you a simple tool to help you think about giving, right? This is called the generosity ladder. Should be on the screen here. But as we're thinking about giving, we wanna use the 10%, the tithe that we talked about really as the floor of our giving, not the ceiling, right? No matter where we are, we can always give more. And hear me, we can never outgive God. We can never give out, we can never outgive God because He is faithful and righteous to help us, to save us, to continue us along. So we cannot outgive Him. We can always give more um, to Him who has given us everything. So this is the generosity ladders. We're thinking about growing, right? We wanna grow in all the spiritual disciplines. And this is a way that we can do that. It just feels icky because it's money, but we've talked about that today. So as, as we're trying to be faithful to grow in our generous giving and being that kind of person who's generous with all of our lives, this is just a simple tool that can help you do that. There's five rungs here. And the first one is this, the one at the very bottom, it's an initial giver. This is someone who is giving for the first time. Many of us, many of you could do this today. Maybe we have to start somewhere, right? Give to God's mission either here or somewhere else like I just mentioned, maybe somewhere in our city. Just give to the mission of God in that way. Number two, the second rung here is someone who is a consistent giver. This is someone who gives consistently. It might be $20 or less or somewhere similar to that, you know, every once in a while, but they're consistent in how they're giving. Then the third rung here is intentional giver. This is someone who is intentional with the money that they give regularly. They might be someone who has made the choice to tithe 10% of their income every single month. So this is, they're being intentional with how they're thinking about generosity and what God's given them. And then the fourth one here, the second to the top is sacrificial giver, sacrificial giver. Sacrificial givers decide to make changes that cost them something in their lifestyle. They are giving up small or large things so that they can give above and beyond the 10% in their life. They evaluate if they're given is really costing them something or if it's become comfortable or routine, right? When our, our lives become comfortable, especially in our walks with God, you know, we wanna challenge that. We wanna grow in our faith, right? And so that's what these people are doing. They're, they're talking about, you know, has the 10% that I give every month, is it become comfortable or can I do more? Can you stretch me with this God so I'll have greater faith in you? And then lastly here, the very top, it's legacy giver, legacy giver. Legacy givers are thinking past this year and moving toward long-term impact for their local church, their family, and for eternity. They put a cap on spending and saving so that every additional dollar goes toward kingdom giving. Maybe they put an amount that they wanna give in their lifetime to the kingdom of God. That's a big faith call, right? And y'all, can I tell you, honestly, studying for this sermon has been so challenging for me. I pray that my wife and I truly we can get to this level of giving. I want to look back one day and I say, and I want to say that I left a legacy for my children, for my son who's about to be born and for our church. God, you have been so good to me. Let me do this with this short life I've been giving. Let me use this generosity that is not even mine. Let me use it for the kingdom of God. So one day that I will be able to get to heaven, see hundreds, thousands of people, God, I pray that know Jesus because of you used the giving that I gave God to do that. And in different ways, it's not just here at the church, but it's throughout the city. It's thinking about this. It's thinking about like taking people out to dinner and paying for their dinner, your coworkers that don't know Jesus. 
babysitting, paying for babysitting for them. All kinds of ideas that you can use to be able to further God's mission with the generosity that God has given you. And we give that back in creative ways. So it's not just here, it's a part of it, but it's in different ways in your life. Just thinking about how we can use that to see people come to know Jesus. So as we close today, or when we close out our time together, I've got one final story for you. I love to tell this at starting point. This is the story of R.U. Darby. R.U. Darby, his family was alive during the mid 1800s during the California gold rush in American history. And uh, one day his uncle, they of course wanted to be a part of this gold rush. So they moved their lives out to uh, California from Maryland and they were gonna be a part of this gold rush and what was going on. So his uncle, R.U. Darby's uncle, true story, moves out there, buys some equipment and he starts digging. He finds a cave, starts digging for it and praise God, he finds an ore of gold right in this cave. And of course the family's ecstatic. They all come out there, they start digging, they're excited. And if you don't know how caves and gold works, there's these veins, just like in our arms, right? Our legs, there's these veins of gold that go throughout these caves and they wanna find one and they wanna dig for it and you get more. You just follow this vein all the way through, right? So they're digging, they get this ore, but somehow the vein disappears, it's gone, right? One day and this family of course is mad, they're upset. They're like, what in the world? What happened to this gold? You know, what happened? And they're looking, they're looking, they're looking, and they finally get to a point where they say, you know what, it, it must not be there. We got all of it that we could, right? So this one little ore. So they, and they, they end up leaving, they sell all their equipment to these men back then called junk men. Junk men were known not to be super smart back during that time, but these guys were. What they did is they hired a cave engineer to come look at this cave and find this vein. And y'all get this, three feet, three feet from where uh, the Darby's, this family, start stopped digging was the vein. Y'all, they were three feet from gold. Three feet from gold. And so these junk men find this vein, they get rich, they get all this stuff, and the Darby's gave up, they went home three feet from gold. Y'all believe this describes so many people who were Christians today. Y'all, so many people turn around right before they experience a breakthrough in their walk with God right before they experience baptism, serving, joining a group, going on a mission trip, giving. So many of you here are three feet from gold. You're three feet from gold from what Jesus has for you and what he wants for you in this relationship to bring you this abundant joy and abundant life. What I wanna encourage you today is to lean into these five practices. Lovingly, can I say lean into these five practices because they will lead to your spiritual growth. Generosity, y'all, is the thing that unlocks all the other spiritual disciplines in our lives because the way that it's tied into the idols of our heart. Y'all remember, generosity is not something that God wants from you. It's what he wants for you because he gave that to you and he wants you to accept that on his behalf. And so let's remember the generosity of our savior and let's be a church who invests our resources in things that will outlive us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.